This is episode 50 and the one-year anniversary of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening and the kind messages people have sent. It's been great getting to know some of you as well. I've got a favor to ask. If you've been enjoying the podcast, then please consider leaving a review on iTunes. It's really, really helpful. Now, without further ado, this episode is with Dr. Ikram Huck, who trained at Imperial College Medical School, interning at McKinsey, before starting training at the Mayo Clinic in the US, considered one of the best hospitals in the world. We talk about the differences between the US and UK medical training, how Ikram got to where he is, covering both the high-level philosophies and the granular details, as well as how he deals with failure. I hope you enjoy. So Ikram, could you tell me a little bit about your story, maybe starting from medical school to how you got to where you are today? Yeah, I think firstly, thank you for having me on on your talk show. I'm a big fan. Uh, so yeah, so my name is Ikram. I, uh, I went to medical school at Imperial College in London. Um, I spent six years there. Um, one of the years I was in the business school um, doing the business management course uh, as part of the intercalation. Um, and uh, sort of uh, for a long time, I was debating and, and sort of thinking about what I wanted to do in life. I think it's a common story you find amongst uh, a lot of medical students, uh, balancing different interests, uh, different passions. Um, and uh, I think that uh, the business school year really helped me um, expand my horizons into sort of, you know, pursuing different options. A couple of the interests I had and I continue to have are sort of, you know, number one, um, technology and, and digital health and the value of that and, um, and really reshaping healthcare um, and more, more specifically adding value at scale. Um, and hence that had led me uh, on to working quite a bit into uh, with a lot of digital health companies in the UK, uh, more on the business development side, looking at sort of, you know, where they are right now, how do they grow, um, accessing different markets. Um, and I was sort of, you know, very privileged to uh, work very closely with um, some very interesting companies that really helped shape my understanding of the uh, business side of um, digital health startups, but then also as a career, what would it be like to, you know, go out and, create your own startup, uh, build your own company, and what does the life behind the scenes look like? And then at the same time, I ob obviously really had a passion for medicine. Um, learning sort of the sciences of medicine is what brought me to medical school. Um, and hence, I was sort of, you know, always pursuing uh, interests within medicine, be that within research. Um, uh, more specifically, at the time in medical school, I was very interested in HIV and HIV-associated malignancies and, and did a couple of research projects um, at Chelsea and Westminster Hospital. Um, and then towards the end of my medical school, I was also, you know, wanting to explore the idea of what it, it, what it means to go into sort of, you know, healthcare consulting. What does it mean to work for a consulting company uh, and explore those options um, with my medical elective period? Um, and at the same time, answering it, a completely different question was, if I were to stay in medicine, uh, where would I want to practice? You know, where would I want to be um, in 10, 15 years time? And where would be the best place to put me in the strongest position um, to fulfill my goals and, and vision? Um, and hence, sort of, you know, that medical elective period was very critical for me. Um, we had about three, three and a half months off. Um, and I was sort of, you know, planning way ahead and trying to take the most uh, value from that. Uh, so I ended up spending a month at the Mayo Clinic um, in an internal medicine um, rotation, 
uh, a month at the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio in cardiology, uh, another interest of mine. Um, and then the third month I had spent with McKinsey Consulting Group in London, um, working with the London and Dubai office for seven weeks um, before then starting F1 um, in London. Um, and those three experiences, very slightly different between them for sure, really shaped my understanding and my thinking of where I really wanted to get to. Um, and that sort of factored in my decision making about number one, do I want to stay in medicine or not? And number two, um, the answer to that was yes. And then the answer to number two, which was uh, where would I want to practice medicine? Would it be in the US? Would it be in the UK? Um, that was sort of, you know, well and truly answered in my medical electives and, and, and led me to apply for residency in the US. And then I was uh, lucky enough to match at Mayo Clinic. And, um, and I'm about seven to eight months in now. Before diving into some of the specifics, at a very high level, are you someone who meticulously planned all of this? Is it something that just fell together? You just jumped from opportunity to opportunity? Or did it require a lot of forward planning and a lot of thinking? You know, my philosophy with all this is that um, one can plan and plan, but God is the best of planners. That's my sort of, you know, high 30,000 feet level philosophy with all this. And with that in mind, I'm not a one who, and, and this is advice I give to a lot of people, is that not to have sort of, you know, no planning at all and just think that everything will just fall into place when it does. Rather, sort of, you know, go out and give yourself a general roadmap of where you want to get to and put yourself in relevant positions and opportunities that could sort of, you know, facilitate that. And that doesn't mean sort of meticulously planning exactly where I want to work in six and a half months time and what I want to be doing in three and a half months time, but rather sort of, you know, looking at your life in the next four to five years and thinking, look, these are the opportunities I'm going to have. Um, and in medicine, you're very privileged because your life around work and training is already sort of somewhat planned out. And so you can sort of, you know, and in my case, I was sort of, you know, in third, fourth year, and I knew that, listen, I had a three month period in, in final year. How best do I make use of it? Um, I have a lot of free time in and around medical school. How do I best make use of it? And so for sure, there was a lot of planning, but high level planning. And then the specifics we're more sort of, you know, applying and seeing what happens and then being flexible enough to sort of, you know, accept failures when and if they came and accepting sort of, you know, um, acceptance when and if they came. So if we speak about actually getting those positions, what, um, both in consulting and at Mayo, what do you think was the factor that made, I mean, if you specifically focus on the elective period itself, what were the things that put you in a strong position or how did you, how did you actually get those positions? So they're two different they're two different sort of uh, ways because they're two different mindsets, two different careers. Um, and so I think what would be most useful is extracting sort of general principles from each one. But for the uh, let's start with the McKinsey one. Uh, so for the McKinsey um, elective um, and summer internship, I would really argue it's about uh, reading around um, medicine and not just understanding the technicalities of you know uh, uh and the physiology of medicine that you see in a clinic but rather understanding how is healthcare delivered um and a lot of the benefit benefit i extracted was from sort of you know the management year plus uh reading regularly um 
the economist and and other sort of you know insights into figuring out um, how is healthcare delivered what does it mean to deliver high quality healthcare whether that means to sort of you know uh, improving access how do you measure outcomes in healthcare and sort of you know having a real interest and um, ability to sort of talk about this number one and number two sort of you know apply it to new examples is what really sh sh you know shines out in an interview so uh, the McKinsey application process you have the first test which is sort of the uh, uh, problem solving assessment uh, which is sort of very similar to a lot of the exams uh, one's used to and then the second element is an interview and in the interview it's about number one telling your own story and synthesizing it in a way that you're able to extract learning points and show that you are a leader showing that you are a team player showing that you are forward thinking and, uh, and able to solve problems and number two applying a lot of the information that you know we talked about um with regard to healthcare from a delivery standpoint, from a managerial standpoint, new issues, uh, whether that's sort of, you know, cost-related, um, evidence-based, uh, applying sort of value-added care. And that's sort of, you know, um, the, the application process of, for that element. Now for the Mayo uh, residency and more generally for the US residency, it's a completely different ballgame. It's talking about more, you know, uh, medical school performance, exam performance, um, obtaining US clinical experience, and then not only that, uh, being in a position to get letters of recommendation to strengthen your application. Now, those are sort of the specifics with regard to the two applications. Now, more general uh, values that you know one can underpin is again, I, I would say threefold, uh, threefold. One is having some plan going forward about what you're trying to achieve and having goals. Uh, and number two is uh, putting yourself in the right position with the right people. Um, because when you surround yourself with the surround yourself with colleagues, with uh, friends who are sort of, you know, thinking along similar lines and sort of testing you and pushing you to sort of, you know, think differently, that really shapes and, and um, it broadens your horizons. Um, there's a there's a saying I, I sort of you know really um, like is sort of you're the average of the five people you hang around with um, and if you sort of you know you want to be in a in a in a circle that is pushing your thoughts and um, broadening your horizons um, and number three is sort of you know doing the hard work when and when and if it uh, is needed um, you know there are two types of people in this world one is uh, the those folks who who do none of the work but take all the credit and the second group is those who take uh, who do all the work but get no credit and um, I think it was a saying by Gandhi who said it's uh, there's more people in the former so it's better to be in the latter um, so uh, what that with all that said it's sort of you know putting in the hard work and the dedication when and if it's required and seeing the fruits even if they come and even if, even if they don't you know having that trust in the process yeah, I had, um, I interviewed Sir Bruce Keogh and he gave a very similar quote. It was from Truman. I think it was something like, you can achieve anything you want to, uh, as long as you don't mind who gets credit. So it's kind of, yeah. it's kind of similar. You, you mentioned that it's very important to have, to be in an environment where you're around people who have similar goals and who want to achieve similar things. How has your experience been at the Mayo, at being, you know, one of the best medical institutions in the world? Is it the case that you're just surrounded with these people and you're surrounded with opportunity? Yeah, and I think this is a very important question because 
it's all true and well if you are as an individual listening to this that you have the natural ability uh you have the hard work and um you have the natural intellect and insight to take up opportunities um but a second element is also being in an environment that fosters that ability that um, allows you to grow as an individual allows you to grow into whether it's being a world leading clinician whether it's uh, going into a into business whether it's going into any other element of life you really need that environment uh, to sort of you know curate and and develop as an individual and develop clinically develop professionally so those are two um and obviously there's more but those are two very important um elements of sort of you know uh, development uh one being the natural ability and the natural insight and the talent and the hard work two being in the right environment and that was a big part of my decision making when i was thinking about where do i really want to go i think you know i was had enough confidence or self confidence to believe that i had somewhat natural sort of you know uh, uh, hard work inside me and uh, and um intellect to some degree but uh, whether it was being in the right environment and which was the right environment for me to be in um so answering your question more specifically it it is a it's an institution that really does um allow one to grow um and take up so many opportunities around you um because it's 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 an institution that's well run with that specific objective um and that was somewhat lacking where i was previously um um and that's what i felt uh, and and that was sort of you know a lot of my decision making as well about sort of you know to to go to mayo um yeah what's it like practicing medicine in the us um and if you were to compare it to kind of practice in the uk yeah so i'm going to answer that rather than practicing medicine i'm going to say training uh in, in residency equivalent so um there were probably i would say six reasons why uh, i decided in the end to go to the us and, and to train in the us one was sort of the emphasis on education um and the value um a place such as mayo placed on education um more specifically as a resident you know we're getting dedicated time um you know 30 40 minutes in the morning an hour in the afternoon um and uh, incredible teaching from great clinician educators throughout the day um on you know developing you and building your clinical judgment um and that emphasis you know compared to sort of you know where i was in uh, in the uk it was more you know learning on your own um you know one hour a week of thursday afternoon teaching as a junior doctor um and it's such a busy service in the uk that you don't have the time or the luxury to sort of you know spend some time reading around topics and sharing information sharing research studies that was one element you know the the education two was more about the research opportunities um and sort of you know both access to uh cutting edge research because of the funding of a lot of the institutions in the US and have that they have the ability sort of you know to to um engage in a lot of more research and engage younger residents um to get involved in that research i think you know it's very difficult uh from what i saw and you know this is n equals 1 study but um from what i saw of a lot of um uh training uh, 
uh, doctors in training in the UK was sort of, you know, pursuing and you had to pursue sort of, you know, PhDs and um, uh, to get any meaningful research done because you, number one, didn't have the time. Number two, it was sort of, you know, the the environment of training there wasn't sort of, you know, allowing one to have a month off, you know, um, a, year, a year or something like that to focus on research. Um, and um, that was sort of number two. Number three is what I saw, and this is a really interesting point, I think, and this is very subjective. And I, uh, but but from my experience, what I saw was the this notion of a glass ceiling in the UK. And I and and what I mean by that is that I saw a lot of times, you know, very bright, uh, be it surgical medical registrars at sort of you know ST seven, ST eight levels floating around, still you know trying to get a consultant job because sort of none's available. Um, and sort of, you know, uh, being able to get into sort of, you know, a top teaching hospital in London, it meant sort of so many other things. It wasn't just about sort of your hard work, your publications, your uh, CV. It was sort of, you know, so many other factors. Um, and then and then comparing that sort of, you know, to when I was seeing residents finishing fellowship um, or fellows, you know, finishing fellowship and seeing their career progression um, into joining onto academic staff, going into, you know, associate professors, professorships, and that track, it, it just from just grossly subjective, um, in my opinion, I just saw it was so much more um, doable, if that's a word. Um, and that sort of, you know, really felt uh, fed into my decision making of why to go to the US was that, you know, you have a very clearly defined path. If you want to become a world leading clinician, it is very much sort of, you know, doable and, and, and you obviously have to go through the hoops. But that was sort of, you know, uh, an element of meritocracy being rewarded um, more so than I felt in the UK. But that is grossly subjective. So, you know, I may, may get sort of a bit of stick with that. And then obviously, you know, um, for me, a big factor again was the culture. Um, so, just to give a very sort of you know uh, grossly subjective example again. So, as a junior doctor in the UK, um, what's the culture like between you and a professor in in your field um, in a hospital environment? Right. So, you're a junior doctor. You've got a difficult case of you know whatever it is, and are you in a in an ability sort of you know to pick up the phone and call the consultant? Um, uh, or, or the, the consulting team and, and ask for sort of input and advice into a case. Um, and what I found a lot of the time, even ordering scans, you'd get so many sort of, you know, nasty feedback when you're picking up the phone to order an MRI or a CT scan and you'd have this sort of you know, consultant saying, I don't speak to junior doctors below uh, med regs, I only speak to regs or above. And, and that just psychologically impacted me a lot. Um, and then I compare it to sort of, you know, uh, when I moved over to the US and I have sort of, you know, uh, when you have sort of, you know, world leading clinicians that are sort of, you know, taking the time to, to, to sort of, you know, not only just give you an answer to the question you're asking, but then also to explaining the rationale of why you should be sort of, you know, pursuing um, this line of thought. What are you, why are you ordering this? And, and sort of, you know, giving you that education in real time, that culture uh, is what really actually sold it to me um, and, and fed into my decision making. Purely from uh, you know, a perspective of looking in from the outside. It looks like one of the downsides of the US is that it looks a lot more high pressure. I don't know how true that is. Um, and I don't know what your experience has been training in the US. Yeah, okay. So my um, my views into this are always going to be viewed through the lens of working in an institution like Mayo, which prides itself in an environment of teaching, um, of research and delivering clinical care. Those are what the three shields mean. And hence, um, with that front, 
a lot of emphasis is really grown on on valuing physicians as human beings as well and you really do see uh, the great shift and uh, emphasis placed by program leadership into prioritizing physician welfare uh, resident welfare um, and that being said i think you do touch on a very um, important point um, that i have actually seen as well and i think that overall the working environment is going to be very different to the uk and the reason is is very simple in the uk you have a national health service which is a at the end of the day a government entity and working for the government is very different to working in a private sector in, in a government entity you are sort of you know a small fish in an, a large employment sector you know how many employees does sort of the nhs employ it's sort of you know the single largest employer in the uk uh, double check that i'm pretty sure that's that's correct but in that environment sort of you know there's there's sort of you know a lack of um i would say ways to distinguish yourself distinguish people who are able to do really hard work and high quality work versus those who are sort of you know floating along um and doing the bare minimum and that's something that really you know somewhat annoyed me was that you know as a as a junior doctor you could come across incredible physicians who are sort of you know going uh you know above and beyond what's required of them delivering sort of you know such great care um and then comparing them to sort of you know folks who are sort of you know coming in late and sort of you know, doing the bare minimum and at the end of the day both progressing at the same stage and get somewhat getting similar jobs and that really sort of you know um influenced my decision making of so where is the sort of you know the reward for putting in so much hard work and then that actually feeds into what type of healthcare system you're in so if you are in sort of you know a government entity the emphasis less is, is less upon sort of you know um rewarding such sort of uh hard work but then the benefit of that is that you are working in a very sort of less low stress environment when it comes to sort of you know proving yourself at work versus um in the US I will speak in general uh, as a resident as a medical student you are always out to prove yourself to get to sort of you know, the next stage because the amount of work you put in the amount of sort of you know research you do the amount of sort of uh uh dedication you show at work really influences what type of fellowship you get uh whether you get strong letters of recommendation whether you get average letters of recommendation what board scores you get all these well and truly influence your uh future career so to explain the difference between the stress at work that is sort of the key answer it's sort of in the us you are always out to prove yourself because by proving yourself you do get rewarded whether it's being taken on as staff whether it's being promoted from associate to full professor um and obviously there is an element of that in the uk but much less so you know as an f1 uh, you just need to sort of you know get your dob signed off and and you know attend a few meetings with your clinical supervisor and then great you know just don't get into too much trouble and you're enough too uh, and do the same you're you know apply for uh, cmt and you know you know uh, take a few boxes here and there about have you done how many audits have you done this and that so so that i i hope that answers that sort of you know question you must have a lot of medical students and doctors message you um for advice who want to do similar things to what you've done what's the kind of what's the spiel what do you, what do you tell them 
So it's very easy to sort of, you know, tell them exactly what the process is about sort of, you know, you do this number one and then you do the exams number two and when's the right time to do the exams and, you know, how do you go about getting residency post and what do you do at interview? Those are all somewhat easy to answer. And what I always start with is answering the question, why? And answering your question, why do I want to move to the U.S.? And the reason I say that is because the actual application process and the whole process is very difficult, number one. It's costly, number two. Uh, and number three, it's, it's hard work and it's long. And you will come across times when you're asking yourself, why am I even doing this? It's so much work. Is it even worth it? And if you don't have a good answer to the question why, you're not. it's going to be very difficult to push yourself through that. When you're studying all those extra hours, coming back from a clinical placement at 5, 6 p.m., uh, doing all those thousands of UWorld questions, and you're thinking to yourself, and you're getting half of them wrong and getting only 20, 30% right, and you're like, I can't do this, it's too difficult. If you don't have a good answer to the why question, you're going to struggle. That's my honest opinion. And then so coming to that why question, for me, it was some of what I had already said a little bit earlier was about sort of, you know, uh, number one education and the focus of education research uh, the glass ceiling and the meritocracy of the us just generally as a career progression and then sort of the culture of in particular mayo i was always set on you know i really want to go to mayo for, for separate reasons but um so support so all the those reasons really helped um uh give me the strength in those difficult times when you're you know going through that process and that's what i always start with it's not enough for one to say physicians in the US make X amount of money and physicians in the UK make Y amounts of money, I want to go to the US. If purely money is your reasoning, there are many easier ways to make money, okay? Uh, and I say this to them, they, it's so much more easier to make money in other fields and I don't think that's a good enough reason. Um, if the reason is I want an adventure, and that's it, you know, I just want to have an adventure. There's so many more other ways to have an adventure. I think you need to have uh, it's true to say, you know, I, I want an element of adventure. I want an element of being comfortable in my life. I want an element of sort of, you know, this. Um, I, I, I just, I, I'm sick and tired of the UK. All these are sort of valid answers, but sort of answering that and being clear to yourself and true to yourself on, on why you want to go to the US. To dive in a little and get a little bit more pragmatic with the advice, um, either what is your advice either to those people or maybe your 20-year-old self? What are some specific things or are there any habits or any ways you've approached things that, that you think have in particular helped you along the way? So my philosophy has always been fed by what my parents actually always used to tell me and continuously tell me. And it's a phrase in my own language in Urdu that I'll best translate as, as best as I can. And, and, and how it best translates is in every decision you make, there is always a blessing of your creator if you have the right uh, intentions. It's a very deep point, but let me try and expand on it. So if one has the right attitude in terms of sort of, you know, pursuing, whether it's applying for posts, whether it's, um, uh, you know, exams and doing well on exams, if you come in and with the right attitude of saying, I'm gonna put in a lot of hard work and then I'm content and happy with whatever happens. And if I get it, there's blessing in that and it was meant to be and I will accept it and I will move on. More importantly, you put in the real, you put in the hard work, you study night and day for an exam, you study night and day for an application and you think this is what was meant for me. I'm sort of, you know, I really want this and then you don't get that post. There is blessing in that as well. 
and having that mindset to know that maybe it wasn't meant for me as much as I sort of, you know, wanted to go for that post, as much as I sort of, you know, I thought it was the right decision for my career, but I didn't get it. There is a higher purpose with that. There is sort of blessings and disguises that you at that specific point in time will probably not appreciate. But having that belief that there is a blessing in every decision you make really changes the way one approaches uh decision making and, and it's really impacted myself um for example now going into sort of you know very specifics um a very personal story for mine uh was when i was sort of applying for medical school i was really set on you know oh it would be great to go to cambridge or oxford and and this was where i really wanted to get to i had put in all the hard work for it um and you know and at the age of what was it 17 18 when you're applying for medical school um and I didn't get sort of, you know, I, I, I didn't get it. Uh, uh, and I was so disappointed. I was, you know, so, you know, distraught and thinking, oh, my God, this is a calamity. What has happened? I've been cheated. I've been this. I've, uh, I deserved it. And then and then now looking back in 20, you know, seven, eight years back, there was so much blessing in that decision that being in a different environment allowed me to meet so many different people being in where I was in London that it allowed me to sort of you know be the person I am today uh, be and I wouldn't be here um, in the US if it wasn't be that decision right then and there with it where at the time I was so distraught and you know I was saying oh my god how did I not get it this but there was so much blessing in that decision now then moving forward now how do I approach applying for a position how do I approach sort of you know, even applying for residency, it's a very stressful time, whereas an international graduate, there's no guarantee. You know, you may be um, on paper stronger than a lot of other applicants, but due to the fact that you're an international graduate with the wrong visa, you're not going to get interviews where other people will get interviews. How do you approach that? Um, and my philosophy was always this, you know, it's I put in the hard work. I have no regrets about, you know, my uh, the work I put in. Now, the decision, if it happens, it happens. If I don't get it, I don't get it. And there's blessing in every decision. And and so so that's sort of, you know, allowed me to deal with failure. Um, and this is sort of, you know, uh, touching on a second point about what, what you were referring to a little bit earlier about how do you deal with failure? And this is a very crucial point. It's very easy to learn how to win. And I relay this back to sort of, you know, the time when I was 14, 15, and I was at one point in time wanted to be a pro tennis player. It is very easy to learn how to win. So uh, what do I mean by that and, and how to win? So if you're winning a tennis match, you know, great. You won the tennis match. Yeah, good for you. You move on to the next tennis match. You lose that tennis match. How do you deal with that failure? How do you deal with not getting into an academic position that you wanted to get into? How do you deal with not getting into medical school uh, the first time around? How do you deal with not getting the job you wanted? And learning how to fail and how to approach failure really shapes your career. Are you someone who gets so distraught and demoralized that you sort of, you know, give up? Or are you someone that sort of takes stock and says, listen, I put in the hard work. It didn't happen because of X, Y, Z. I'm learning from X, Y, Z. And also there was an element of luck towards it. But regardless, I'm content and I'm going to move on and I'm going to try again. And having that mentality of accepting failure when it and if it comes learning from the failure and then not giving up that really does you know shape your uh, whole career and that's something i'm continuously trying to learn as well
That's a really amazing answer. And I feel a bit gross asking the next question because of because that had so much value in it and um, it's so useful. But are there any specific, I guess, on a micro level, are there any specific habits you have, any morning routines, any study routines, or just any of that really, you know, grind stuff that, that that's helped you get to where you are? Yeah. And you would have probably noticed that all my answers are very general because I, 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 I naturally, I, I tend not to like to talk to about myself in specifics, but okay. So very specifics, I think for me, it's a lot of faith as well. Um, I, I, I'm, I have a sort of, you know, strong belief in God and that sort of, you know, feeds my everyday routine as well. Um, helping clear my conscious when I'm sort of, you know, um, engaging in prayer, when I'm in sort of, you know, um, supplicating i find that really gives me the strength every day um and everyone has their own sort of you know way of seeking contentness seeking peace in their life whether that's to do with yoga whether that's you know prayer whether that's in in anything else i think it's number one very important that you find what brings you peace in your life whether that's you know it could be exercise it could be playing an instrument whatever it is um for me it's prayer and so 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 uh, give it that gives me the ability to carry out my day in a very um, clear conscious mind. Um, number two is, this is sort of, you know, answering uh, a more specific question about, you know, this element of grinding, etc. and, and um, is the power of email. I think, you know, my dad always used to say that every day you should be sending out five to 10 emails. Okay. If that's all you do in your life, just send five to 10 emails a day, even on your day off, on your day in, are you working, whatever. That's, that's your objective for each day. Get five or 10 emails out. What does that mean? So that means sort of, you know, people you're working with, people you want to work with, uh, colleagues, uh, mentors, you know, from afar or mentors close, emailing them and sending out emails to get your name out there to sort of show your activities to sort of engage and network um and that's that's something that i sort of you know try and and take on board now what does that mean on my front it's sort of you know um engaging with my mentors engaging with my colleagues engaging with sort of you know colleagues um to sort of you know uh keep in the loop and more so in the business environment rather than in medicine so i remember at mckinsey it was about you know the project manager with all sort of in the people you're working with in a team sort of you know you've got to be emailing uh everyone and and not emailing more about work but sort of you know catching up with them and and growing your network that way um and number three in terms of sort of practical advice on a day-to-day -day thing about sort of you know your habits and, and habit forming I think the importance of reading um, and seeking knowledge. There's so many ways now to seek knowledge. In the I don't want to say the old way, but in the olden times, it was about reading a book in the library and sort of you know acquiring knowledge that way. Nowadays, you can acquire so much knowledge just sitting in your room. You can acquire knowledge by watching YouTube videos. You can acquire so much knowledge from listening to podcasts, acquire so much knowledge from being in chat rooms like the clubhouse I was on a couple of days ago and, 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 and sort of acquiring knowledge in small tidbits through the day. So for example, um, sitting back and rewinding, um, you know, listening to a good podcast, listening to YouTube videos that are insightful, listening to sort of, you know, conversations on Clubhouse. Now for me, it's a lot of YouTube. So I listen to a lot of YouTube videos about people I aspire to and, and I love their mentality and, and the way they think about things. And that really feeds my, um, my sort of, you know, um, 
my soul. That's really, really cool. Um, regarding your second point about your dad's advice, um, a few years ago, I uh, did some intern work at Sierra Care. Um, and I spent a lot of time with Ben Maratapu, who's the CEO of the company. And he's he's really, really awesome. And one of his tips at the time was that every new year, you should send a, you know, a thank you email to all your mentors and all the people who've helped you. And it shouldn't be something that's done, you know, with a view of trying to get something back or asking for a favor or something. It should just be a genuine email with specifics about how they helped you and that you appreciate them. And um, I've done that every year since. And I've, I find that incredibly valuable. So yeah, I totally agree with the value of the email. And it's it's so easy to do as well. It's not like you need to go out and send a letter and get a stamp. It's so quick. Um, but there's a lot of potential there. I hope you enjoyed that episode. You can find all my links by going to bigpicturemedicine.co.uk. And if you've been enjoying the podcast, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. Thank you.